Good evening, everyone. It's Necro Thursday, and uh, I'm here with Mike Skindado. How's it going, Mike? I am well. Uh, as Mr. Hill said, you're listening to the Necromaniacs podcast, coming at you every single Thursday. And tonight you get a Mike and Mike episode. I'm good, man. You know, a uh, bit of a three-day weekend here. We're filming this, taping this during, not filming. You know, we're not on film. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it, it'll be nice to have a, a, a shortened work week for me. I know you said before this started that you were not off today. No, sucks. no, I work for this fucking godless uh, heathen company. This, <laughs> I work in a salt mine. And, uh, mm. you know, they need to get the salt out for everyone. So um, I guess so, man. Jeez. <laughs> uh, no President's Day for you. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, man, I'm good. Uh, Mike and I hung out on uh, Saturday night at this uh, spot in Brooklyn, Dromedary, uh, where I was DJing along with uh, Stella and a friend of hers, Jen. And it was a good time, huh, Mike? I had a great time, and uh, it was a full day of activity for me, actually. I Earlier that day, uh, there was a, a Muay Thai fight at mm -hmm. Amazora Nightclub out in Queens. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it was two guys that I trained with at the gym, both uh, fought. They both won by, by stoppage. Oh, great. Is, uh, you know, it's a big deal. And, um, yeah, the, shout out to Spider Muay Thai in uh, Garwood, New Jersey. Coming on strong. Very cool. Coming on strong in 2023. You know, and then I then I checked you out, you and Stella and uh, and Jen, and it was mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of fun. Yeah, man, thank you. Uh, vinyl DJing, which is cool. I I I broke my teeth many moons ago CD DJing, and broke many great CDs, unfortunately as well. But uh, yeah, now uh, DJing with vinyl, and I have quite a bit of vinyl to choose from, and uh, hopefully the vinyl that I do DJ with doesn't. Uh, suffer the same fate as a lot of those cds did but i'm being as careful as i can it looks real stressful doing that stuff man um i guess it can be but once once you're kind of like it you know in the 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 zone so to speak and you know what you're going to play next it's less stressful you know <laughs> now let me ask you a question man since i've, I've never mm -hmm. actually really dj'd anything like i've you know like i half-assed did it a couple times but it was basically just doing a playlist or something you know right and uh let me ask you did you do you have it planned out or are you just going off the cuff i have it planned out to a degree that i know that i'm going to utilize everything i brought with me i think i literally didn't use about five or six records out of all the records i brought with me and i brought quite a few um i knew what i was going to start with you know, and I kind of know mentally what like the blocks are going to be. If if you paid attention stylistically, there were kind of like different blocks of music, you know. Sure. But no, I don't have anything written down. Um, nothing's on my phone or anything like that. So I guess it's mentally I know what I'm doing, believe it or not. Um, I kind of know what I'm going to play, but it's not 100% prepared, but I would say it is somewhat prepared. Yeah, it just it looks like a lot of moving parts with vinyl, man, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Um, you know, I wanted to say, so we did the uh, Skin America episode uh, the other week with me, you, and Jeff, and um, it, I have to say it seems like quite, it almost seems 50-50, huh? Like it seems like a, 
a good 50% of the people out there didn't like the movie, Mike. What do you think? Yeah, you're probably right. I, I, I think it skews probably more, actually. You know, mm. I think most people that I spoke to, with a few exceptions, um, are scratching their heads and like, what the fuck did I just see? Right. You know? And um, Carl actually has not seen it yet as of, as of the taping of this episode. Carl has not. I talked to him yesterday, and ah. he's still trying to find the uh, one hour and 40 minutes to set aside to watch it in one straight run, you know? Gotcha. Um, I Hopefully he finds that time. Carl of the Great Soul Knox podcast. Yeah. And uh, speaking of podcasts, if you're a new listener, we like to give some plugs to our podcasting horsemen of the apocalypse, which uh, in plain terms means buddies of ours, as they say. He's a buddy of mine. Right, Mike? Yeah, you know, and, and it is like this thing, man. It's cool. It all happened very naturally, and uh, everyone just kind of connected over the last couple of years, and uh, we all have a lot of the same interests, and the coolest thing about it is that we're all, the th the one thing that we all have in common is that we're fucking cool, number one. Exactly. Of course we're cool. <laughs> you of know, we like cool we stuff, and we're into cool things, and we're cool, yeah. cool people, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so let, why don't you run them down, Mr. Hill? All right. On Monday, we have Horror Wolf 666, which is a fellow horror podcast brought to you by Brandon Legion. Brandon covers the interview sector of the pod of the uh, horror podcasting world and he has Correct. up and comers established people pretty much the whole gamut of guests on there and then of course you know his fellow horsemen make guest appearances and we do lists of like top you know 666 best scary moments things like that you know we've mm. all we all had our crossover episodes likewise uh we have tuesday is Into the Necrosphere, the best extreme music podcast on the internet. And uh, that's Jackie Smith bringing it to you every week. And um, like I said, I, I listen to this show, and occasionally I'll listen to the Heavy Hole podcast brought to you by Big Will of Reeking, mm. Reeking Aura. And uh, that's that's another good one. That's starting to gain on the, on the podcast meter for me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wednesday is, uh, it's, I'm back, I'm, my first podcast of the week is Everything Went Black, which is a uh, very wide scope. A lot of different stuff on there. Music, uh, MMA, uh, a lot of authors, filmmakers, artists, things like that. And, um, and of course, Thursday is Necro Thursday, which is the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast brought to you. It's the by one you're listening to right now. That's right. It's me, Mike Scandato, Jeff Kashid. And on Friday is Break the Apocalypse, brought to you by Mike Scandato's brother, John Draper. That's right. And that, that's also kind of an eclectic uh, gathering of ideas, too, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, you know, a, a mix of, like, comedy and social commentary, social issues. Uh, it's a cool podcast. I, I recommend uh, you all check it out. How about that? And we touched on this earlier, but Sunday is Soul Knox, brought to you by Carl Hikara. And uh, he has a pretty wide variety of things on there, too. You know, mm. you know, we've all been guests on his show. He's been a guest on Everything Went Black. Like, 
it's a one big happy family, man. Just a bunch of guys really putting putting efforts, putting intention out there into the universe. Yeah, as as a matter of fact, I will be a guest on there soon. Uh, I'm taping next week, so it'll be my my first time maiden voyage on the Soul Knox podcast. So that should be cool. Have you seen anything uh, cool? Anything of note? Uh, actually. I've been finally hunkering down with uh, the reading. Um, I, I, I'm trying to read every night now, you know? Definitely. Um, and I've been going back and forth on two things. One, uh, the Finnish black metal book. It's this cool hardcover book that I kind of like did a soft reading of when I first got it. Maybe didn't do the, the full read that I wanted to do. I mean, I've had the book for about almost three years. Um but man, it is just, it is wonderful. It is like the kind of day one, well into the 20 teens uh, history of uh, black metal in Finland. Um, and it's a really cool book. I recommend you can, you know, you pick it up. I got my copy uh, via Hell's Headbangers, the great Hell's Headbangers distribution. Um, I think it's still available, ugh, available from those guys. It's called The Devil's Cradle, The Story of Finnish Black Metal. Was the author's name there? I'm get an author name uh, by uh, a name I can't pronounce because it's Finnish and I'm not going to attempt it. But it is called The Devil's Cradle, <laughs> the story of Finnish black metal. Uh, yeah, the guy's first name is Tiro. The last name, nope, not gonna not gonna attempt it. Uh, really cool book, um, and it kind of goes almost like in order. You know, like it it, it basically starts with like Beherit. And goes from there and goes into like impaled Nazarene and, you know, um, but you, you name it, they're in it, you know, Arch Goat. I mean, I believe there's even uh, a, a Finnish death metal book, if I'm not mistaken as well. But this is, of course, uh, the black metal book. Um, and aside from that, I am reading the Jason Aaron run of the Conan stuff from Marvel, Mike Hill. Yeah, man, we talked about this briefly, I think, on Saturday, and, uh -huh. and I, I have to check that out, man. Like, I um, I haven't really checked out. I mean, you and I were also discussing how Marvel gained and lost the license for Conan. So yeah, um, I mean, I guess some listeners who, who might be big big comic people or big Conan comic people are aware of that, but you know, so Dark Horse Comics, of course, the great independent you know company had the Conan license for a very long time after Marvel lost it shit in the 80s or 90s. And then in, in the 2000s at some point, Marvel regained its Conan license and they made a big deal out of it and they launched several books out of it. They relaunched, you know, the regular Conan the Barbarian Monthly. They relaunched the Savage Sword of Conan Monthly, did some one-shots. Um, and now once again, as of last year, they uh, they lost Conan once again. So, um, yeah, uh, it's just kind of weird how all this happens. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, the ins and outs of the comic world, but apparently they lost it in May of 2022. Uh, Marvel chose not to renew its uh, Conan the Barbarian publishing rights, and um, yeah, kind of a kind of a weird thing. So once again, like all of your your Conan kind of trades from marvel are all kind of you know out of print 
collector's items. I mean, they're collector's items to people who want them to be collector's items, technically, right? I mean, you know, they're never going to be for sale again. No. So, no. you know, not in that form. Um, but I'm wondering, would would yet another company put out these again? Like, you know, like there's got to be a point where it's like, you know what, maybe we'll just start fresh, you know? Uh, the company they lost to was Titan. Titan. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of kind of weird, but yeah, I've been in, I've been enjoying uh, the, the Marvel O's, you know, two thousands, twenty teens, whatever the fuck you want to call we're living in era, and um, yeah, check it out. I mean, look, nothing will be I think as awesome as as the seventies, eighties. I think Marvel Conan output, but. To me, I think it's just fun to read almost any new Conan material now. Yeah, pretty much, man. Like I'm, I'm all about those Roy Thomas uh, scripted books. Like they, mm-hmm. I think he was like the master storyteller for that style in Marvel Comics because he did Conan, he did Cull. Um, there was a Solomon Kane run that was like a backup feature in uh, Savage Sword, mm-hmm. um, and all that stuff was all scripted by Roy Thomas, the great Roy Thomas, and. Uh, that's like some of that's classic. That's like classic dark fantasy comics. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean they 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 only got they only had it back again for like four years and change. Mike, isn't that weird? And they, they, they were um, once again. They were in the process. I think it was like the epic collections or whatever. They were in they were in the process of reprinting all the old stuff again, once again, and mm. they they lost the license before they actually f- completed their mission of reprinting everything well according to titan they're going to have their own archival uh programming archival program of the conan stuff and and i'm seeing uh you know people (laughs) who were complaining last year on twitter about please just pick up where marvel left off and do not start over from (laughs) again please and uh, and then apparently somebody said yes, that is our plan or whatever. It's just kind oh, of that's fine, good. Right? Yeah, yeah. Just for <laughs> consistency purposes, you know, just pick up where they left off for sure. Yeah, I mean, Jesus Christmas. I mean, there's as easy as it is to find like a Marvel Conan trade. There's this, you know, Dark Horse printed tons of that stuff um, as well. So it's you know, I think it's it's a little bit of a of a bleed of the fans to a degree, but uh, what are you going to do, man? I mean, these things happen. I mean, I guess Conan isn't, it's not like renewing Spider-Man, I guess, unfortunately, right? You know, it's not uh, that big of a priority. Well, the one good thing too is Marvel did complete their reprint of, uh, of Cull in the, Mm. those like deluxe format editions. I have them. It's like, you know, Cull the Destroyer, Cull the Barbarians. Like, uh, those are great stories too. And, and, I like those stories because they're just a little bit more moodier than the Conan ones. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I remember reading about how Cull and Conan, like Cull is actually more what Robert E. Howard's true personality was like. Ah, uh, okay. And Conan was the like idealized version of who he wanted to be. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I like I have like tons of backstory about Robert E. Howard. I have the collection of all the letters that he and H.P. Lovecraft wrote to each other. And um, Is there a book 
about him that you would recommend or have you read a book yes, about him yes yes uh i'm not gonna i want to say sun and steel but that's like uh that's a yukio mishima book it's like mm -hmm. something thunder and steel steel and thunder something like that the title uh -huh. escapes me but it's a biography about robert e howard that's really really good yeah that i would like to check out at some point yeah definitely yeah totally um but uh, yeah aside from that you know um enjoying that last of us uh every week i watched last night's episode which i thought was really cool you know um are you keeping up with it yeah man last night's episode i don't know it's like i'm not going to say what happens in it but i'm like this might be the pivotal moment where they where they jump you know what i mean i don't know oh no really so you... <laughs> we'll see what next week's like you know what i mean well yeah i mean it ended on a cliff we're not gonna spoil it it, it was a cliffhanger kind of kind of shocking ending there and then when they showed what next week's episode looked like, I myself was like, ooh, what is that? <laughs> so I guess we'll see. My, my read on that was those are flashbacks to, um, to Ellie. Uh, when her she, earlier life, Yes, that, that's what I okay. – yes, that's what I – Okay. I think that's what it is. I, who knows? You know what I, mean? we'll, I hope we'll so. Out. We'll find out. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, all, that's all we're going to say. I'm still on board, still intrigued. I still think it's a great show. And uh, But, you know, we'll see, man. We'll see what happens. You know what I mean? <laughs> um for me i caught uh the outwaters on friday uh, oh yeah right yeah i did not my plan was to see it in the movie theater but it ended on thursday because it went exclusive on Screenbox. now like mm. i hung on to Screenbox for one more month specifically to watch this you know what I mean? okay in case i didn't get the chance to check it out in the theater right what a fucking mistake man uh -oh. <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say man it's um i don't know if this is something we're gonna talk about at some point i mean maybe we should mm. i think it'd be a service out there to our listeners to cover this show this uh this movie rather but uh okay i don't know man i, I got i don't really have too many good things to say about it just as a precursor so it is so as as a brief statement, you will say you enjoy Shutter better, as you'll say. Will you say that? I pretty I pretty much think uh, Shutter is the spot to to watch horror. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. Screenbox has mostly the same stuff. Uh, it has some exclusive material on there, like Terrifier Two is exclusive on that. There was uh, mm -hmm. History of the Occult, which was an excellent uh, Lovecraftian horror film. It sounds like a documentary, but it's actually a, a narrative which is excellent mm -hmm. and then this which is like definitely a miss you know what i mean mm -hmm. okay yeah. yeah oh one thing stella and i watched and we just kind of put it on randomly was uh a 2018 joint which I, I i you know i didn't see in 2018 uh about agatha christie's the abc murders with uh john malkovich uh, where Malkovich plays uh, Hercule Porio, the uh, great detective. Okay. And if you like thriller detective stuff set in, in like, Amer you know, in, in the 1930s, uh, you know, like pre-World War II uh, England, it's pretty fucking cool. That's yeah, I like stuff like that, definitely. Um, so yeah, it's called The ABC Murders. I think it's a, it's a three-parter. Uh, we watched the first part. And, uh Yeah. I actually thought it was really fucking cool. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it, it's 
I think if you're a fan of Giallos, you would definitely like this, even though it's, it doesn't really have like, you know, the, the Giallo traits per se, but it has, it has the thriller, you know, vibe and like, it has like the murders, you know, and blood and, and, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, the ABC murders, pretty cool. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I'm enjoying reading like the trades again. Like I have like a whole bunch of them to fucking read. And I think that that's, that's what I'm going to do when I'm not kind of watching movies or TV stuff, you know? Yeah. I, I always try to read for at least maybe 20 or 30 minutes a day. And then like, mm. on the weekends, it's like, I usually, I mean, uh, sometimes I'll read for like three or four hours on the weekends. Very cool. Yeah, I, I could, I could, you know, benefit from that habit, so to speak. <laughs> but uh, tonight, listeners, uh, we're taking you to the '90s. Uh, you know, we, we haven't been to the '90s in quite some time, Michael. Right? Yeah, I mean, the '90s was kind of um, almost like a uh, a no man's land for horror films. You know what I mean? Mm. In a lot of ways, it was like a transitional period. It was this limbic space between the '80s. And the stuff that was about to pop off in the new millennium. I agree. Um, I think there's sprinklings in the very beginning of the '90s. Uh, you know, your Bram Stoker's Dracula's. Yeah. And you get the sprinklings at the end. Your Event Horizons, right? And you could say your Scream is the very end of the. Well, is it the very? No, it's not. I think it's the middle. Yeah, um, that's like mid. That, that's when that. Yeah, that's that's okay. Let me walk that back. Uh, uh, that's when things kind of start to get bad. But you have your sprinklings, I think, in the 90s of decent horror. Um, but what was happening in the 90s were the uh, – it was a decade of uh, – I would call it the edgy indie films, Mike. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and uh, similar to tonight's uh, feature that we're discussing, you know. Absolutely. Um, one – could make a, a slight argument that the movie we're covering tonight is a is a horror film due to the fact that it covers all of the horrific things of real life mike no would you would you say that well it, you know you know that film combat shock mm -hmm. people consider that a horror film yeah i mean look i i'll say tonight's movie is not a horror film but it is a necromaniacs podcast film how about yeah. that well, I, I would like to liken it to to uh, Buddy Giovanazzo's uh, <laughs> uh, opus, Combat Shock, which mm, okay, some people okay. consider that a horror film, but it, there's nothing supernatural about it. It's uh, just about like post traumatic stress disorder, and there is this uh, you know similar brooding taxi driver esque tone to that film as well. Yeah, this movie is for our fans of Taxi Driver, our fans of Hardcore, George C. Scott, Hardcore, remember? Yeah. We covered that. Yep. Um, our fans of 8mm, right? Uh, it is a little ditty called God's Lonely Man, released in January of 1996 uh, from director Francis von Zernick. It is an American film. Uh, shot and, and takes place in Los Angeles, right, Mike? It does. However, it has a very East Coast feel to it, though, doesn't it? Um, actually, I mean, 
A little, but a lot of people have, I think, in online commentary referred to it as the West Coast taxi driver, though. Yeah, you know? but I'm talking about just the characters. You know what I mean? Like, you got, yeah. you know what I mean? Okay. Like, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, the guy, well, let's run down the cast real quick. And there's there's some surprising people in this film for such a sleazy-ass movie as this. There's Indeed. some pretty, you know, pretty well-established actors in it, you know. Mm-hmm. The star is uh, Michael Weil. Or Wiley. I'm not even sure. How Michael Wiley. Michael I would Wiley. say Michael. Yeah. He plays Ernest. And then there's uh, Heather McComb, who plays Christiane Birch. Uh, Heather McComb was in several episodes of Ray Donovan. And if you looked her up on IMDb, she's basically in an episode or two of Everything Ever Made uh, yeah. on television. Very, um, pro- very prolific actress. Yeah. A... a a woman who's been on every TV show under the sun and uh, who at one point was married to James Vanderbeek, actually. So, yeah. And I, too. I also want to call this, and this is significant, that she's from Barnegat, New Jersey, too. Yeah, she's a Jersey girl. And you can almost kind of tell in this movie that she that she's an East Coast girl. Well, and that and that's kind of, well, I'm going to get to that. You know what I mean? OK, yeah. got, it, got it. We got Roxana Zal as Nikki Bursch, her mother. Mm-hmm. The great Justine Bateman. As Meredith, the daughter of the uh, porno uh, movie book place. <laughs> mm-hmm. The porn shop. Porn the shop. Porn shop. Uh, J.C. Quinn as Stephen, the owner of the porno shop. And J.C. Mm-hmm. Quinn's been in a ton of stuff, too. Mm-hmm. The late, great Tom Towles as Stephen. Yes. Once again, playing like a grimy, <laughs> one of the grimiest characters you can imagine. And of course, Tom Towles. Yeah is in uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. He plays, That's right. He plays Otis. Uh, Paul Dooley, who you'll know from uh, 16 Candles. Yeah, the, the dad in 16 Candles, and a, a man who is, to me, played just, you know, kind of positive people. Yeah, in very wholesome guy. Very wholesome. Very wholesome, yeah. playing a very dark, unwholesome role as the character Polo in this film. Yeah. And uh, Kiernan Mulroney as uh, Mulrooney, as Keith, mm-hmm. another uh, super creep in this film. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We have uh, a cameo of Ginger Lynn, the famous uh, porno actress. As a, yeah, as Ginger a, Lynn as a, Allen, yeah, yeah, whom I met at a chiller, and she couldn't have been nicer and cooler and funnier. She's, uh, yeah, nice nice woman. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, what I wanted to bring up, though, is, is particularly, I don't know where Michael Wiley's from, but he mm-hmm. just—he looks like a guy that lives to grow up in New York or Staten Island or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He definitely he doesn't doesn't really look LA-ish. No, um, I mean, he just looks like some Italian dude, you know, that lives in in like Brooklyn or whatever. You know what I mean? And he himself has a small role in Tough Turf, a movie I would like to cover on the show one day with James Spader, the 1985 film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was. One of Brad's buddies in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Very, oh, okay. Again, All right. Very small role. A yeah. uh, bunch of TV stuff also uh, in the 90s and O's, uh, The Division, Joan of Arcadia. Uh, but his his IMDb ends around 2008 with some, some TV stuff. Uh, has not done a ton of, of shit overall, though. This guy is, might not even be acting anymore. He's on a few episodes of, of Nash Bridges in the 90s and... You know, uh, in the 80s, he was on random episodes of St. Elsewhere and Simon and Simon and 
you know, uh, he had a tiny role in Valley Girl, small, like I said, small role in, in Tough Turf and small role in uh, Fast Times of Ridgemont High. So there you go. He probably owns like a car wash in Hohokus, New Jersey right now or, <laughs> or uh, you know, like a laundromat. He took his acting money and opened up a chain of laundromats. I he, he might. I mean, it's it's a awkward guy playing a very awkward character, let's just say. So I would say most of the film is the acting interplay between Michael Wiley and Heather McComb. And that's why I think this movie feels like it takes place in like Newark or something like that. You know what I, mean? <laughs> um, I have one more cameo to shout out. Oh, okay. Um, if you're a 90210 person, uh, Jamie Walters is in this film. Uh, Jamie Walters plays one of the hustlers at the very beginning of the movie, uh, or an early scene when they're at the porn shop where Ernest works. Uh, this guy actually went on to have a pop song that was pretty big in the nineties called, uh, how can you talk to an angel? I'm not, even, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> and he's in this movie, a, you know, they filmed this around 95. Uh, you know, this is kind of the post 90210 days he was in and the post, the minor hit song that he had days. So, uh, yeah, Jamie Walters is also in this movie. So as we mentioned, this uh, this film very it's basically a riff on Taxi Driver. I mean, let's just yes. be straight up about it. You know, even 100%. even even Michael Wiley's portrayal of Ernest, everything about him screams Travis Bickle. Yeah, it, it is it is a a ode to Taxi Driver, Taxi Driver rip. You know, we could I mean nineties up you know nineties up version of Taxi Driver only in an L.A. setting instead of New York City. Uh, 100%. Now, Mike, before we go further, I, I have to ask you something. Okay. This movie is, is not really available uh, anywhere. Uh, the DVD <laughs> is out of print. It's not on Blu-ray. Uh, you you've watched it on YouTube, and that is where I watched it for this show. So this is only one of literally two films in the history of Necromaniacs podcast that we watched the movies that was on YouTube only, by the way. Um how did you find this movie? Oh, of course. Uh, Rennie uh, told me about this movie. Yeah. Right right before, actually, the first time I watched this, Rennie hit, sent me the link uh, right mm -hmm. before the Christmas holiday. Mm. Right? And um, I was like, I was at my parents' house visiting, and I had my iPad with me. I'm like, you know, let me go in my room and, you know, hang out. Oh, there. my God. So, like, on the Christmas weekend, I watched this you know, on an iPad in my room. And at my at my parents' house, <laughs> so it wow, was, yeah, dude, it was. It this was, is not a okay, folks. No. We're gonna get it out of the way. This is not a feel good movie. This is not a Christmas movie. Uh, ultimately, this makes Taxi Driver seem a little more quaint, uh, in my opinion. I'm sorry. Uh, look, Taxi Driver is the superior film. This is the darker, more harsh film. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, it's it's like a wallowing in the low life of humanity man you know what i mean yeah and and uh and the character of Ernest is like uh it's almost like this like incel version of travis bickle you know yeah um i just want to say thank you rennie for for this one because i i, I did enjoy watching this i guess as much as i could kind of enjoy watching it but um i don't remember this movie i've never heard of this movie uh, it is something that was brand new to me, and I'm always fascinated when, you know, I hear about these movies either from the 70s, 80s, or 90s that are new to me, 
that are kind of like these dark, oddball, fucked up movies. So thank you, Mr. Uh, Rennie. Well, you know what, too? It, it's um, in Taxi Driver, like, even though that's a dark film, the way it's portrayed, like, everything seems very cool. Like, you kind of want to check out that world a little bit. You know what I mean? It's, uh, you don't want to live there. Mm. You want to visit. You want to give it a drive-by, like the world of Travis Bickle and, like, Yeah, I mean, everybody's enamored. Everybody's enamored by 70s New York and, 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 and yada, yada, yada. Um, but this is, yeah, I, I think, okay. Also I'll put it out there. Uh, I do think this is a necromaniacs podcast film. However, I think only a sector of the necromaniacs, uh, listeners will enjoy this film. Uh, I think this, this may end up being a bit too much for even some of our listeners as we get to the end of the film, Mike. Yeah, I mean, and, and there there is a sense of realism to this film too, and and uh, it's it, it's there's nothing about the world that Ernest lives in that seems romant romantic at all. Like you know how like people romanticize, like we were saying, seventies New York City. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be in any of these neighborhoods that this guy's in. You know, no. Even the they they have a shot of where the porno store that he's he's working at in the beginning is located, and it's like. Not even like on a main drag. It's not even like on Sunset Boulevard or something like that. It's like in the industrial side street with like, you know, these fucked up looking buildings around it and everything. And it's like, like, wow, what a weird place to put a, a porno book, you know, store. There's like hardly any foot traffic. You know, there's just like the assortment of creeps and prostitutes and scumbags that just seem to be in that neighborhood all the time, you know. To make things even a little more interesting is that this director francis von zernick never directed an actual film ever again um the other credit he has which is something i'm definitely going to seek out is a short from 2011 called the family down the lane oh yeah i read that on on his imdb uh and and the ex and the the little little write-up on that is pilates loving mother of two daughters living in san fernando valley comes home one afternoon to find a deranged man with his odd wife and drug addict daughter living in their house the families make an attempt to make sense of the situation ultimately have an altercation with the neighbor Uh, it, it all goes to hell so i want to see that and i like how this director used the down the lane uh, which uh, to me is, I bet the farm, a callback to little girl who lives down the lane, a movie, which we covered right here on necromaniacs podcast. So I will look for this 2011 short. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's an outlier film from an oddball, you know, director who was kind of almost never heard from ever again, uh, with a star that again, hasn't done anything in a long time. But for some fucking reason, has Justine Bateman from Family Ties in it. How about that as a head scratcher? Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and and this came out in '96, so she mm-hmm. was like a fairly well, you know, well-known actress at the time. Yeah, I mean, but by well, by '96, Family Ties is done and done. I think Family Ties finally ends at the very beginning of the '90s. Um, and this is this was definitely shot in '95. Um, so I don't know what her career was like back then. Um, you know, it's just like, 
I mean, uh, Mike and I are not 100% sure if this played in many theaters in 96 or it was more of a just film festival slash went right to home video fair. Um, if anyone can, can let us know that has a recollection of a recollection of seeing this in the theater at some point, uh, after you've heard this episode, definitely let us know on Instagram or Facebook. Um, part of me thinks that this might have had a super duper limited run theatrically, theatrically, perhaps in California, um, and then went to video and, and, uh, you know, I think had an early O's DVD and then just, you know, completely has faded into obscurity because yeah, it is on YouTube and it, it is definitely, I would say an, an unedited version. It looks like a DVD rip onto YouTube, Mike. Basically, I think you're right. And, and, and anyone out there is inter interested in this, watch it right away. Cause who knows how long it's going to be up on YouTube until they take it down <laughs> right. for, cause there's like really inappropriate language in this movie. And, uh, Yes, you know, like um, like very very not of the times language, you know, references to things that you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say, but you know. Yes, this seems like something that YouTube would do a victory dance at the headquarters for taking off YouTube. I got to be completely honest. Um, in 2023, so I almost feel like Mike, you're right that this probably has a, an expiration date on it. Honestly, yeah. watch this movie. There's a lot of n bombs. There's a lot of f bombs. Uh, and that is as much as I'm going to say about the language of this movie. Uh, I mean, hell, the 90s might as well have been the 70s, Michael. Huh? I mean, there was actually no nudity in this, though. You're right. For the subject matter, which we'll get into, um, which delves into, you know, pornography, child pornography, snuff films, and just overall depravity, there is no nudity in this film. Yes. Oh, real quick about uh, the director. He also was an actor, and hmm. he, he acted in a film called Dark Secrets. And but he he had a different name though. His, his name was Frank von Zurich. <laughs> I hey, I am going to look up this this down the lane short. Uh, there was a little snippet of it because sometimes now when you're on IMDb, you actually get to see tra like the trailers almost come pop right up. The, the trailer of God's Lonely Man on IMDb pops right up as you're looking at the page. So you actually got to see a bit of the trailer for his, his short from 2011. And it looked kind of cool. So, um, but yeah, wow. Uh, you know, I guess, I guess once I get a hold of Rennie, I'll be like, how did you find this movie? Cause I bet you he found it in the nineties. He probably has, the, he probably has the DVD. I, probably, I guarantee, I guarantee yeah. you he has this. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, we have a, a very lonely protagonist, hence, you know, the, the, the God's lonely man. But honestly, I, I mean, I would say uh, that Von Zernick was was so inspired by Taxi Driver that he took that that line, you know, the God's lonely man line. Yeah. And that's, in, that's in, in uh, Taxi Driver. And they have like that excerpt from the uh, Thomas Wolfe uh, story. Um, right. Which is exactly. all, also known as the anatomy of loneliness. Mm. Yeah. Now, now, listeners, there's not a Wikipedia page for this movie. There's not a bloody disgusting article. There's not a morgue article. There's not, there's not much at all. There is uh, a Rotten Tomatoes entry, and 
on the IMDb entry under the user reviews, which, uh, you know, can be very helpful, I feel like, because sometimes you find out inside things in these user reviews. There are 13 reviews, and I will say almost all of them are eight nines and tens out of tens, Michael, about this movie. I'm not about surprised. About how people man. enjoyed this movie. Yeah, no, it's... Which is almost shocking. Um, what, there's one person that has a one out of ten, this is worst movie ever. Uh, and then one, another one out of 10, this is too much like Taxi Driver. But literally all of the other ones rate this movie extremely high, um, which I, I was almost a little surprised by. But ultimately, look, this is a movie that goes into very, very dark places, much like the original Taxi Driver does. But it doesn't have the the luck of being directed by Martin Scorsese and having, you know, Paul Schrader involved and having the wonderful score and the wonderful cinematography, you know? It's almost like if you remove all of that and you and you put it in a 90s West Coast setting, I almost feel like then you have, you have what you have here, you know what I'm saying? Like, which honestly, look, the 90s are regarded by lots of people, myself included, as a pretty wonderful time. But I do think it, it, in the early 90s, you, you had similarities to the 80s. And look, society hadn't really advanced all that much just yet. And I think th there was just probably just as much dark, dark shit in the 90s going on as there was in the 70s and 80s. But I feel like the general consensus is that it wasn't, Mike. No? It's hard to say because I think I... I in my travels in the 90s, I think I saw more dark stuff in the 90s. Than yeah, I did well, the 80s. well, this is early 90s. Early 90s, as we have talked about on the show, well, early mid, this is actually, this is smack dab in the mid 90s. Um, I feel like in the early 90s, yeah, I, myself as like a young, early 20s, late teens person, I was reading all the serial killer books. That's what I was doing, right. you know, yeah. in like 92, 93, 94. Honestly, by 95, 96, I was actually reading tons of like vampire stuff and Poppy Z. Bright and like just kind of more crazy, you know, horror stuff. Um, but now that I think about it, I, I also think around this time is, is when I found some of that, the, the, the real oddball stuff. Um, oh, man, what were those books called? Well, answer me. Yes, yeah. yes. Like, well, answer me and the 94, but I feel like it, 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 its wavelength is reached still in 95 and 96. And, you know, um, there's definitely some, some, you know, dark corners that are being found by people back then that, I don't know, I just feel like some people don't think of the 90s, they think of friends or they think of grunge. Well, let me run this by you. I can imagine that that store see here carrying this DVD. Yeah, like, it, but <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Or, or having like a zine that talked about this movie. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and see here is a, a now defunct, very, very freewheeling bookstore, <laughs> magazine, yeah. mag store, magazines that had every possible thing you can imagine. Any, everything, any kind of, 
you can buy like a white power like newsletter there uh there was like the nambla books were there there was like anything went and and the guy who ran it was like this this like leftist like hippie yeah progressive dude he just because it was all about free speech yeah it was all about you know you know what i'm saying like i do what i want and i sell what i want and blah 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 like yeah i mean it was just such a different time yeah but now that i'm thinking about it regarding like look like porn shops in in the in the mid 90s i mean they were still kind of in full force actually i I mean Um, even even into the 2000s like porno shops i just saw one actually in manhattan wow i walked by one on uh on the on like uh like 20 like maybe 23 22nd or something like that and like like yeah they're still there like in that area they're they're like they're they're like these it's like you see you're like holy shit this still exists but i mean there needs like there needs to be a few sprinkled about you know i mean it's just how life is you know but i guess this um the, the mention of see here bookstore like that is like the world of god's lonely man you know what i mean yeah oh yeah i see what you're saying yeah it's like Yes, this movie will <laughs> offend many, many people because of the subject matter that's discussed in this film, you know. But that's not my fault, you know what I mean? <laughs> you can't blame me and Mike for telling you about no. this. And that's no. exactly the stance that the dude who won't see here has. And that's what I'm, what I'm trying to say about this movie, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually got some, like, satanic zines from there and, yeah. like, black, early black metal zines yep. and exit, hardcore, exit hardcore zines. Yeah. And it's, you know... It was a great time. But anyway, uh, back to the movie itself. I mean, we have to talk about how Ernest goes on to, to meet uh, Christiane, which I'm going to say, and I don't know this for a fact, I bet the farm that uh, Christiane, Christiane is named after Christian F. What one, about you? One of my favorite movies. I, I was yeah. thinking the same exact thing because essentially, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, blow, we'll let it out of the bag now, Christiane, is a teenage prostitute. Yep. <laughs> you know? And a drug user. Drug prostitute. user. Everyone's using drugs in this movie. Everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she is, uh, you know, 14 years old, and she keeps saying, I'm almost 15. I'm almost 15, you know? Um, I will say this. Heather McComb, uh, at the time of filming this, was a 19-year-old. So yeah. thank God for that. I looked that up, too. I wanted yeah, to- <laughs> yeah. yeah there are some very... There are there comprom there's look, there's compromising languages, compromising scenes, and um I mean her character talks very openly about the things that she's done, right? Yeah. Uh there's a lot of that. But you know, thank God obviously she's being played by a nineteen year old. Um you know, because I, dude, by like ninety five, there was would have been no way in fucking hell they would have let an actual teen to play a role like this definitely not no no definitely i i I mean i mean jody you know jody foster was what fucking 13 when she She was was like 13 or 14 but her mom was there on the set and i mean honestly little girl who lives down the lane no stage mom now would let their fucking role play that movie yeah well jody foster's mother was was there at all times and while look there's that bizarro nude scene that isn't her that's her older sister in the movie uh that movie is is edgy as fuck and it's you know it's it to me it'll it'll forever be a very like you know eyebrow kind of raising movie you know yeah but uh 
anyway, um, but it's weird though. Uh, she's played by a 19 year old actress, but man, I think she comes across as someone who's almost 15 years old, in my opinion. Like, like she plays very yeah. young. Well, you know, I was going to comment that I think she's probably the best actor in in the entire production, except for well, except for maybe Tom, you know, Tom Towles. But I mean, like she car she her and she really does carry that role. And like, yeah, I was yeah. going to ask. It's like when, you know, as a grown man, when you inter interact with young people, you know, mm -hmm. like they just seem incoherent half of the time, right? And I think that Heather McComb really portrays that like she yeah seems like very, she's very very kind authentic. of like skittish yeah like she's kind of skittish and a little all over the place and she's kind of always kind of like laughing and happy and even and it's very like one of the most fucked up things about this movie is is how even when she's describing like the horrible things she's done and the horrible things she has seen mike she describes it in a way that it's coming from a 14 year old yes and it just it just makes it more uncomfortable no it's super super brutal yeah because it's like spoken and it's like when you watch documentaries about people who've been abused you know like it's mm. it's it's almost it's very much like that's what i mean the movie is it gave me chills at times because of those scenes you know yeah and, and you know what if you're look you know I would preface this with if you are triggered by shit like this, I don't think this is your movie. Um, no, definitely not. If you're triggered by frank discussions of, you know, abuse, uh, you know, this is probably not the movie for you. Um, but again, as Mike said, she is the best actress in the movie, Heather McComb. I'm sorry. Like, she's, you know, uh, and... It's it. I would bet that you know her mother or father or whoever was was obviously on set for a movie like this, and you know I, I bet it was probably real interesting for her as a young actress to make a fucking movie like this. No, yeah, because even it's just like it's very believable, you know, and um, and I think she really did a great job acting, and most of the film is her and Michael Wiley acting together. And they, yeah. there's definitely uh, an energy there, which I thought, you know, and I, I'm going to say it right now, too. I, I think that the writing on this is fucking great. The dialogue, everything, man. It's like this is definitely a sleazy movie for sure. How it is sleazy. And I don't look, I don't know if I would throw the director under the bus that he made this for titillation. No, because no. I do not think that is the case. I, I don't think that's the case. But we have such little to go on on this movie that all we have is our fucking opinions and speculation, Mike, you know what I'm saying? Um, I think maybe the guy was super into taxi driver and it's n nearly 20 years later and he's putting it in, in, you know, in, in mid nineties, you know, in the mid nineties world, the mid nineties setting and the horrors of what's going on in the mid nineties, which let's be honest, uh, are similar to the horrors of what was going on in mid seventies, Manhattan, New York city. Right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's like how, how, how things don't really change. I mean, yeah, maybe he just wanted to make a, a, an, an update in his town or whatever of, of taxi driver. Maybe he wanted to say something a little more. Who the fuck knows? We don't fucking know. Well, I kind of feel like, like he, um, 
This is, it, movie is very similar to Taxi Driver. Like we reestablished that, but it it tells a different story, really. You know what I mean? It really is more about abuse, where Taxi Driver was more about insanity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, although uh, Travis and Taxi Driver, once he he befriended and really got to know Jodie Foster and care about her as almost like a father figure, he wanted to exact his revenge on the people in her world. And obviously, uh, you know, cat out of the bag, uh, Ernest does and wants to do the same thing for the people who have wronged Christiane. Right. But, um, but unlike, uh, Jody Foster's character in taxi driver, she's away from her family and her family are not abusing her in, in, uh, you know, Christiane's family. She's living with her mom. She's got a stepdad played by Tom towels, Steven. And that's, the difference in the characters is that she's living at home being abused and she's on the streets and addicted to drugs and booze and everything. She's going to AA meetings. It's like her character, that, that element of the story is well more, way more developed than in taxi driver. You know what I mean? Like you get a, you get a really, a real insight into the, what she's, what she's coping with, you know? Uh, yeah. I have to say, there's an interesting depiction of an AA meeting in this movie that um to me reminds me of what an aa meeting is really like actually so i thought the uh, director might know a bit about that yeah. uh for putting that scene in there uh francis von zernick um which i thought was interesting which is where we get to see ginger lynn allen have her uh speaking role um and you know she is i guess trying to clean up her life a bit by going to these meetings because she herself is, she's going to the meetings because her mom is a raging alcoholic. Yeah. She herself is a drug user slash teen prostitute going there with her friends who are also teen prostitute drug users. Um, it's kind of a inter interesting scenes there, no? And also you really see the ravages of that, of even, even with Ernest, because Ernest is also a drug addict. He's like doing coke, yeah, coke yeah. and whatever, you know, and. Crack. He's doing crack, crack. and crack. yeah. Yeah. And there's an interesting scene where um where he when he first meets Christiane where she wants him to light a cigarette for her mm -hmm. and he pulls out his lighter and it's got that fucking huge flame on it. Yeah, for crack, for crack pipes. And yes. she's like, Whoa, like he's oh I just like why is that why is your flame so high? <laughs> yes, yes. That uh -huh. I meant to ask you if, if that's what it, yeah, it's it's for, for smoking crack, basically. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's dark, yeah. fucking dark stuff, man, really. Yeah, very dark stuff. And, and so, you, you see him in the grips of like withdrawal and he's like all paranoid and with Travis Bickle, you know, he, he's just a, you know, psychotic, you know what I mean? Like he has emotional problems. He's not so much a drug addict, but in this film, everyone is dealing with drug addiction. Yeah. You know um, I mean? Just want to put it out there. Uh, Justine Bateman, her role in this movie is Meredith. She is a coworker of Ernest when Ernest is working at the video store where he ultimately loses his job. Uh, Meredith's dad owns the video store. Uh, so Justine Baby's character is only at the beginning of the film. Uh, initially, Ernest is kind of normal around her. You could tell that he likes her, but he's, you know, polite and says the right thing until the one day, well, he, he gets a little dressed up nicer and walks into the video store to talk to her. And just says every single wrong thing you can say to a woman, huh, Mike? Yeah, basically, yeah. And she's like, is this how you think you're supposed to talk to a woman, you know? And, like, and she's very surprised by it because I think initially she did think he was okay and liked yeah. him. And, 
And she was so creeped out and weirded out by all the weird, creepy things he said to her, which he does if you watch the film. Uh, she tells her dad, who owns the store, and the dad walks Ernest outside and ultimately fires him from the store. And we, you know, we don't see Justine Bateman's character again or the, the video store owner again. Um, it's funny how you use the word incel. And yeah, he, he almost he almost comes across as an adult virgin who happens to smoke drugs and, you know, like, <laughs> like just be like a, a hot mess and who's into impersonating police and having guns. And it's yeah, I mean, he, he could be a virgin. I mean, I don't know if the character was a virgin. But he's so awkward around women and seems to have absolutely no idea how to interact with them um, until he gets to know the very young uh, Christiane. And while he is a little weird to her, he is not coming on to her sexually. Would you agree? Yeah, just the opposite, actually. I mean, he doesn't um, have that kind of energy around her, you know, and, and he often throughout the film he comments on how, how young she is and there's a scene where he's like I'm 28 years old and you're 14 and she's like yeah well, yeah I'm she tries almost... to kiss him she tries to kiss him and she tries to lay on top of him and he just pushes her off and yeah he he he, he knows that there's a line you know what I'm saying as as nutty as he is with his drug taking and his you know disillusions and this and that uh yeah he knows that she's a 14 year old so there is some morality in this movie, Mike. But everything's like damaged, though. You know what I mean? Because even all right, he he. De we determined that she she's living in an abusive house. You know, she's mm -hmm. got her alcoholic mother who's not taking care of her. Her sister's missing, uh, and she's got you know Otis Otis Tool as her as her stepdad. Yeah. And uh, so he come he comes up with this idea to impersonate a police officer to basically abduct her out of her parents' house or her mom's house. Yes, that's a wild scene. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of like, you know, so he brings her back to his place, you know, and he's like, well, I'm going to stay in a hotel room. You can stay here. And she's like, you can't leave me here alone. And that's when there's that incident where you see that, okay, he's a lot of things, but he is not a statutory rapist, <laughs> which we determined. Yeah, because honestly... Honestly, though, like, I mean, since I didn't see the movie, I almost was like, oh, man, he's taking her out of there. Is he taking her out of there because he wants to, like, fool around with her? But no, he takes her out of there because he knows her home life is hell and that she doesn't want to be there. Yeah. You know, it's right. like the one good thing he's done is that. And even that is still breaking laws. And against, yeah, you know, it's still illegal. weird. Yeah, it's still very weird. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, so she, uh, Christiane reveals to him a bunch of stuff about, you know, her life and the things she's seen and right and, and, and the things she's done. And, and she proceeds to, to describe to him about someone's home that she's been in where she has partaken in just some really dastardly stuff and that a bunch of other children have partaken in this fucking despicable stuff. And he and he kind of remembers all the details, right, uh, of everything she tells him and everybody's name and this and that and what's inside the house and what's, you know, there's ACDC posters on the walls and a punching bag. And <laughs> later on in the movie, when we get to this place, we get to see that she described everything to a T, right? And, yeah, it's this den of 
pedophiles basically and, and yes tom towels her stepfather is part of this crew of men who make films you know mm-hmm. and, and also abuse children you know um and aside from you know uh pedophilia it's snuff films as well yeah so uh Ernest sort of uh, finagles his way in through this guy, Keith, who's like a uh, little league coach of all things. Yeah, like, that's the thing, man. <laughs> this, this movie hits some, hits some marks, man, with about, like, the, the, the baseball coach thing and yeah. the stepdad thing. and the, It's all the things you're just, afraid of that, that you, as a parent, yeah, if you were It a, really goes there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It plays yeah. on every single fear that a parent has about their kids when they're out in the world, you know, like who's taking care of their kids in the case of this guy, Keith, he's a pedophile and he's a little league coach. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why, like, again, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to put it out there again. I don't know if everybody listening is going to be down for this movie, Mike. So nobody get mad at me and Mike. We didn't direct the movie. Okay. Yeah. You know, we're just, uh, we believe in free speech and, uh, (laughs) you know, this is, yeah. I mean, look, um, again, this show has covered edgy films before we will continue to cover edgy films and films that are, you know, that kind of stay with you. And, uh, hell, there've been movies in the past that I've said, I'm never going to watch ever again. And there are movies, you know, again, it runs the gamut, but yeah, uh, I'm putting a trigger warning out of this movie. That's, that's what I'm doing. That's a wise choice. A good, as a good podcast host. So this scene coming up when he finagles his way into this house and, and this whole plot is to get, you know, to, to basically murder everyone because of, uh, you know, the abuse and her stepfather and he wants to free, yeah, revenge. free Christian of this and, you know, possibly even find out where her sister is too, you know? Now, yes, yeah. Christian has a sister who, who has been missing for a while and honestly, it's like, I was thinking to myself, God knows what, I mean, she might even be, be alive, you know? Yeah. Now this is like the most. This this is the scene that I, I, I was so uncomfortable when I watched this scene coming up the first time. Like I just uh, yeah, I almost turned the movie off. <laughs> it was like I almost turned it off. Yeah. I, I I couldn't. It was so tense and and this and Tom Towles. You know, you get this mm. guy in in a scene, and he just pushes. He just you're you're it's a it's you're at eleven with him. You know what I mean. Yeah, um, I'm gonna say like it, it's 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 Serbian film esque levels. No. Yeah, the worst it's part the, about the, it is the feeling out process that they go through mm. when they first meet each other. You know, Keith brings Ernest into this house, and you know, Steve, Stephen, aka Tom Towels, is there, and they're mm-hmm. just checking him out, and and they're saying all this stuff like, yeah, yeah, I, you're right, I, I like him. You know, like he's, mm. he's a good guy. He's a very nice man. You know, they're talking about Paul. <laughs> he's Polo. a good guy. Yeah. He's a the good, use of good guy, nice man. Yeah, he's a lot of this, cool, you know. He's yeah. like, and then like Ernest goes to like put his hands on on t- Steve, and he's like, he's like, don't touch me, man. I I, I don't know you. Don't touch me. <laughs> oh, and, I know. And, and I'm just like, oh my god, something happened. You know, like I please. know it gets real tense. It, like it got it got real tense. And yeah. and then, but they're all like, every, there's like this sense of. Like it's all in Tom Towles' eyes, like the restraint, because all you see when you look into his eyes, you just see violence. Yeah. And he's restraining himself throughout this whole scene, and he's like, even when he's looking at 
Keith after Ernest tries to touch him. He's like, mm. you're, you're, you're right. I, I like him. <laughs> you know? But I'm yeah, just saying, it's like, wow. Yeah. So then in comes Polo. All right. And, and he was, uh, to, just to make things, uh, to really determine, establish who he is, he describes this really horrible thing. With the, oh, like seeing this kid running and yeah. going jogging. And, and when he walked in, I went, oh my God, it's Molly Ringwald's dad. <laughs> candles, and he's a disgusting cat, pedophile. And it's like, Jesus Christ, this movie, this movie goes it just i'm just gonna say it, it just it, it goes to the places that you don't think it's gonna go and it's all done with dialogue too dialogue yeah all dialogue. and, yes, and, and that's why and that that's that's a strength man like that's yeah. the strength of the writing it's all done with dialogue you know and acting and good acting okay and then what's going through my head man watching a scene like that is like is that what it's like with these people like Dude. imagine like like wow man it's like it, 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 to me, it like it's something out of a movie for me because it's something that I can't fathom. Like you I, know, I mean, if you really, it's like the most, the heaviest thing about the scene was like, you're you're at this like bird's eye view of this like interaction between these guys who were literally doing, they're involved in like the most despicable lowest thing you could possibly be involved with. And yeah, just, it's demonic. It's demonic. And, and they're trying like, to figure out. They're trying to they're trying to feel each other out and, and all right, shit, is this guy on the level? You know, is this guy, you know, what's his deal? You know, like there's this strange dude. Like the other three guys know each other. They all know that they're scumbags. You know what I mean? They're mm. like, hey, we all done this before together. We know that we're both like these fucking slimy like pieces of crap. You know what I mean? <laughs> but we don't know about this other guy. He's a new guy, right? You know? And and it's such a intense white knuckle scene, man. All great writing and great acting. Seriously, that's how I see this. You know? I would agree with that. Yes, I would agree with that. And um, um, yeah. yeah, now and then, of course, pa- Polo, you know, basically breaks the ice. He's like, <laughs> the best scene is when Ernest goes to sit down, and Paul's like, no, 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 sit over here next to me. He's <laughs> like, ah, oh, you know, us short eyes can tell, Ooh. tell you, we can, we can pick each other out. You know what I mean? And they use the term short eyes. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, yeah. man, was that, was that a factoid? I didn't want to learn. And now I've learned it. Well, that that's uh they, they kind of got it, it. The way he described it, it, that's a jailhouse term. Short eyes. Yes. I feel like I've heard like, uh, is that a, a move? Like I've heard that, that word or term used in a movie. Yeah, well, maybe? there's a movie, there's a movie called short eyes, which is mm. about a child molester in jail. Ah, okay. And that's that's how I discovered the term. There's a song by Killdozer called Short Eyes. Oh. And then they uh in in True Detective they used the, they reference Short Eyes. Oh, yeah. It's a 1977 film. Yeah. Called Short Eyes. It's like a prison movie. Yeah, wow. It's a prison okay. Movie. Yeah. You know, I'd always seen this box cover. Oh, Bruce Davison is in this. Yep. I never knew what the fuck this movie was about. That's what this movie is about. Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's Mike, definitely... it, here's the storyline. Young man who was charged with child molestation placed in New York City's infamous Tombs prison. Yep. Tombs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While the other inmates in his cell block find out what he's charged with, 
life becomes extremely difficult for him. Wow. Because you know, I never I, knew that's what that movie was about. Yeah, and as you know, like you know that that's like the lowest rung in prison. You know, those are the guys that don't last too long in jail. You know, uh, Louis Guzman is in this. He's like in every uh, every jail film has he's in that. You know, Louis and Guzman. Mark Margolis is in this. Yeah. from uh, what do you call it? Better Call Saul, and and you know that whole world. Yep. Uh, Breaking Bad. Yes. Um. Oh wow. Yeah. Interesting. But anyway, back to uh, back to God's lonely man. So the whole the whole point of him being there is he described to Keith that he's interested interested in purchasing a film, okay, mm. for one thousand dollars. Okay, it's a right. five minute film involving a very young girl. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, uh, of course, um, <laughs> there's another funny scene too in the beginning where he has his money and he wants to give it to uh, to Stephen. Yeah, he's so awkward. Like he does, like a, he doesn't, like he doesn't know how to do anything. Yeah. In way. And, <laughs> Steven, Steven's like, no, no, don't give it to me. Don't give it to me. And then, to and then when he goes to give the money to Paulo, the Polo, and Steven's like, no, I'll take it. <laughs> it's like everything about it. It's like so fucking tense and like like uncomfortable. Yeah. Like all these aspects of it. So, so that it's the moment of truth comes, and I'm like, oh my god, man, what are they gonna fucking show us, man? You know, I don't want to see this thing. And they they put the movie in, and it's like the movie's five minutes long, and it's you know, basically it depicts the murder of a young girl, mm. and you're led to believe that it's actually Christiane's sister that's killed in the in the film. Mm. And the murderer is Stephen, the father, right. step, stepfather, rather. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, you know, that's like, even though you don't see anything really, the way like the whole, it 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 really felt like like part of your soul like is dirty from watching this 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 scene. You know what I mean? Like, there's something about this scene that really I'm going to agree with you. Yeah. It just gets under your skin, man. And like the way that the, the young girl acts and like he even says to her as he's getting ready to kill her, he's like, oh, it's only a movie. But meanwhile, he fucking murders her on the screen. Man, man Jesus Christmas. Like, yeah. and, and And it's like a very unflinching, extreme viewport, viewport into like just this like horrible world, you know? Yeah, I, I was... My, my, I was watching and feeling very shitty and uncomfortable, and I almost like I literally barely got through that scene. I almost turned the movie off, and I like almost fast. I I did fast forward a little bit. I did. I had to fast forward through. I had to like I had to get out of that scene. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> yeah. I had to get out. Yeah. So you know, as a result of watching this thing, you know, Ernest is like, he's like, uh, he ends up murdering everyone in the in the room. You know. Yes. Uh, he does quite a number on uh, Polo too. Yeah, he like digs his eyes out with his thumbs. He like yeah. shoots up uh, Keith, shoots uh, Tom Towles. You know, but it's like fuck yeah, kill all these people. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I and, mean, you know, and it and it is uh, it's very it's like uh, analogous to the taxi driver scene where uh, Travis Bickle uh, goes to spring Jodie Foster and he's got the mohawk and the guns and everything. Yeah, you know I mean it's not as mm -hmm. grandiose as that, but you know these guys have a small budget. You know. Well, okay, he kills the bad guys, as they say. Kills the three bad guys. He gets out of there, gets back to his place. And then 
he shoots himself, right? Yeah. In the chest. <laughs> right? Yeah, like so in the body, you know, the stomach the or the chest. Right, or the so, body, not not right. in the head, you know what I mean? <laughs> not in the head. Although there's a bit of a little fantasy scene, right? Well, you know, like, um, but he shoots himself and then Christiane gets to the house and sees him all shot and bloodied and freaking out. And, and honestly, I, as a viewer, I, I thought, well, this, this is it. He's going to die. Movie's going to be over and blah, blah, blah. What about you? Yeah. The, yeah. I thought that was it, you know, and I'm like, okay, this probably is a good spot to end the movie. Probably a good way, you know, for, mm-hmm. for the movie to end. But, you know, if they had ended that way, the bad guys are dead. Ernest <laughs> is dead. But Christiane, <laughs> it's probably still going to go back to the streets, you know? Yeah, it's a bad ending for her, yeah. right? Yeah, it's a bad ending for her. So, you know, face to black, whatever, and fast forwards, and, well, he, he's alive. And she's alive. And they're still living together. Uh, X amount of time has passed. He has a new job. He's a security guard somewhere. Loving that law enforcement thing. He was pretending to be a cop for a while. And now, sure enough, he has a job uh, as an actual security guard. Right, Mike? Yeah, he just loves wearing a uniform, I guess, you know. <laughs> um, it's funny, though. Now that I think about that, I almost feel like that's his little way, in his, in his own crazy, deranged way of maybe protecting things even though he is a mess himself like you know maybe like why does he like law enforcement so much when he does drugs and you know what i'm saying well you know, know at the end though i wonder if he's still on drugs like we kind of established that christiane is like continuing her education and you know yeah she seems like she looks a little better she seems like she's she's going to school you know uh she comes home and she sees him and he's He's shaving his face. Apparently, he likes to have a clean shave face or whatever, right? And even though he he doesn't look like he needs a shave, he shaves, right? Yeah. And he's kind of talking to himself, right, in in, in the mirror. And it almost reminded me of uh, the end of Cruising, actually. Remember the end of Cruising? It's got a real ambiguous ending at Cruising. Yes, where he's looking at himself in the mirror, and he's wiping away some shaving cream. And it's just kind of over, and we see that his girlfriend has found the S and M stuff still in the apartment. Remember, that's how cruising ends. Cruising, yeah, 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 yeah. Now this movie, he's looking himself in the mirror. He's got some shaving cream, and we cut to Christiane, who finds who finds a, like a a box, a, a box, a bottle of pills that yeah. look like it's his pills, right? But we don't know what the fuck these pills are. And it almost looks like she's about to take them, but she doesn't take them. Like she opens it up and looks at him and puts them back. And then it cuts back to his face and the movie's over. It like Mike and I said, you know, before we, we started taping that, did he like, what, did he maybe want to have that other ending where he dies and then changed his mind and filmed this additional footage? It's a head scratcher, man. But also, I was thinking the same thing about cruising because, you know, it makes sense that he would also rip off cruising. You know what I mean? It's another great 70s, you know, dark film, you know, crime film. But 
maybe riffing on on the ambigu ambiguous ending of cruising mm. like the ambiguity in god's lonely man is that you know maybe these are like some prescription drugs that he has to help him yeah right to... maybe that's why he's got a job now yeah that yeah. could be yeah like maybe it's the pills that are keeping him in check right you know i mean the guy's definitely got some serious emotional issues too you know so maybe mm. he's taking something to even him out you know like some sort of uh you know medication you know what i mean it's funny some of these indb things also liken the movie to two movies that i did not think about leon the professional okay and lolita yeah that that's that's an easy one though that's like okay yeah. you know but and and honestly it never establishes him having sex with her though right so the lolita thing only in the fact that it's it's you know kids and sex and you know edgy and dark uh in lolita the main character is and wants to have sex with lolita so there's a difference there yeah. in taxi driver and in god's lonely man that is not happening but leon it's funny like when that movie came out in, in 94 95 no, at no point did i think anything was inappropriate Years later, some people have looked at that movie with a very different lens and felt that, like, I don't know, it's kind of weird that he was with, you know, with her. And I was just, I'm like, no, like, what? At no point is he with her, right? I mean, yeah. in the professional, right? I mean, I haven't seen that movie in like 20 years, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, don't, I didn't get that impression. I, I, maybe it's time for me to rewatch Leon the Professional, but, yeah. Certainly when I watched it then, none of that came across my head. I thought it was a re revenge movie about a guy who helped the young girl get revenge when people killed their family, the cops, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, that's uh, all I got out of it, you know? Now, let me yeah. ask you a question. All right, they're living together in, in like this very domestic setting, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you think that she's 18 at this point and that they're in an actual relationship or is it still this like weird... Incel no, I think, I think it's under a year later. I think it's like, I think it's only like six months or so later. I think she's still in high school. And I think they're still living this father-daughter-ish thing. No, I don't think so. Wow. That's not what I got. Out of it. He's, you know, I, don't think that, I don't think that much time has passed. Yeah, it's, hmm. I, I just, I, I, I'm so uncomfortable by this movie. I was just like, everything about it is just uncomfortable. Even that is uncomfortable. That he's a grown man living with a teenage girl that's still in high school, and he's not related to her. I mean, aren't there like laws against stuff like that? You know, is that it, no? But that's the whole thing. He took like that's that's the weird '90s you know thing about this movie. Like, it, the, the police don't figure into this movie. There's like yeah, it's a lawless society they live in. You know what I mean? It's like there's no law and order at all like just like people are just running wild in this in this movie and the mother hasn't sent anybody looking for her daughter because the mom's a mess and it's just kind of like wow i mean it's almost like you can almost imagine the mother just descending into alcoholism and then just losing touch with everything too you know that right. seems to be like the trajectory that she was on you know true true now for the moment of truth mike on a scale of uh, necromaniac scale of one to five, what do you give 
God's lonely man. You're going to be surprised, but I give this a 4.5. Wow. I yeah. am surprised as I gave it a 3.5. Dude, I, I think, all right, look, you know, like the first time you heard Def Leppard and mm -hmm. you're like this, I, there's AC, this is ACDC, you know, mm. but you still like Def Leppard. I mean, I still, I love the first two Def Leppard records. You know what I mean? I actually was reminded a bit of like a popular Led Zeppelin, but anyway, okay. go on. For me, I listened to um, maybe the Mutt Lang production or something like that made me think mm. of ACDC. Mm. And I was like, or, or Crocus sounds like ACDC too, or like, you know, Metal Ronde mm. Rendezvous okay. or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. And I still like Crocus. I still enjoy their records. I love the first two Def Leppard records, but, you know, there's ACDC too, which is like the, the ultimate rock band, hard rock band. Now, I feel like this is like Def Leppard, you know, compared to ACDC. Taxi drivers, highway to hell, and uh, you know, and this is uh, this is like the Def Leppard version of um, of Taxi Driver, and it's got its own merits, man. I think it's very well written. Mm. You know, it's definitely, yeah, it's a it's a fucking ripoff basically, but it's different enough where you can kind of overlook some of that stuff, and the writing really shines through. I think the writing is fucking great in this thing and i think the acting is incredible uh i gave it a 3.5 uh see it it's worth seeing it's a good film and, and on the plus side is that i think it was well well done for yeah. a low budget film yeah I mean, um and pretty well acted i just didn't i didn't have a ton of rewatchability. No, um, no 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 this and, not, no definitely not you know it's it's not a perfect film. I again I feel like the something happened there with the ending. Um and you know, it's it's a good film. It is worth seeing. Uh especially if you like the oddities that Mike and I have covered throughout our, our tenure on, on the podcast. Uh you know, yeah, I just I don't know, I wasn't comfortable giving it like a four, you know. Uh so I I like my three point five. I almost it's almost like the Jeff three point five, where it's actually a little higher. Like a Jeff three point five, yeah, is, no. is actually high because it's from Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I just like I, I don't want to see this movie again because it just made me so fucking uncomfortable and I felt dirty after watching it. But like uh, I just it's just a powerful movie. I think you know and and yes uh, and it says something too. Like there's something being expressed in this film that has, like I said, that has to do with abuse. It has to do with like lost people. It has to do with like uh mental illness, like, you know, all this stuff. And it's told in like such a unflinching way, you know, this is a very interesting, uh, YouTube, uh, not YouTube, uh, IMDB review from 2001. Okay. Uh, you know, it's not really a pastiche or mockery, as some critics on its release argued, of Taxi Driver. Rather, it is a re-examination of the place of someone like Travis Bickle in another time. It's also based on a true story. What? That's what it says. Holy shit. See, someone needs to make a fucking legit Blu-ray of this with like extras to talk about all this stuff. Well, the DVD has some minimal behind-the-scenes stuff, according to what some people have said. Uh, the DVD is about 14 There's one person selling it on eBay right now for like $15, and somebody else selling it for like 16 or $17. Uh, 
but the, like that's it. There's like two listings for it on eBay. Um, the it's a true story. I mean, I, I mean, how much of this is a true story? I mean, imagine all this is a true story. It's like, well, whoa. I mean, um, and that's the other thing too, man. It's like, why not? Like so much crazy shit goes on in the world if you think about it. You know, I mean, what happened in this film is not. I, I would believe it if someone if I saw like a. You know, one of those like uh, net Netflix like docu series about it or something. I would believe it mm. for sure. Yeah, for the indie or art house connoisseur, you will no doubt like this one. Uh, you know, I think for for again for people, I think who might be easily triggered by some of the stuff, it is not for you. Yeah, but I do think a good number of the necromaniacs will enjoy this film and ultimately uh, be happy that it was recommended. Uh, I do look forward to what listeners think of this one i gotta be honest yeah i mean it's not for everyone and if i you know if you go and watch the movie and your feelings get hurt you know i'm sorry you know yeah <laughs> sorry Again, it was i apologize only, uh, in advance it's on youtube it's it's literally only on youtube yeah and, uh, and god's I, lonely man and i urge everyone to if you want to see it to watch it right away because it's probably going to get yanked at some point soon i think it will get yanked especially in the times that we're living i think you know youtube is you know pretty clear about certain things um although shit as far as mike and i know i mean shit there might be way worse full-length films on youtube uh but i was surprised that this one was on there gotta be honest yeah but still try to check it out before uh before it gets pulled <laughs> that's all i can say about yeah. it all righty so that was uh our trip to 1996 uh we hope you enjoyed it if anybody has any more info about this movie please let us know there's, there's not a ton of info on the internets about this one. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, thank you for uh, supporting the Necromaniacs podcast and our affiliates. Right, Mike? That's right. And uh, we'll talk to you guys uh, next week. Everyone have a All good right. week. All right. See you next time.
Ich möchte mich mit dir verlaufen, ich Verlaufen, ich möchte Reus kurz laufen. Tonight, lose our digital life.